0: Hello beautiful people. You are listening to Communal Table, part of Food and Wine Pro. I'm your host Kat Kinsman. My guest today is a person who I have... I feel dorky saying this, but idolized for a really long time. I totally fangirled at her at the Gourmet Institute, uh, maybe back in, I want to say like 2008-ish or, or so. Um, she'd written a book called uh, A Twist of the Wrist. <laughs> and I got to know the absolute genius that is Nancy Silverton of La Brea Bakery and a million other places. Welcome, Nancy Thank you. Silverton. Nice to be here. <laughs> I'm, oh, my gosh. So that is, uh, you know, I was doing my homework on you today um because you know i I knew, I knew what i knew and i knew i wouldn't know what i uh, didn't know um i just want to get this out of the way the coolest fact that your mother was a writer for general hospital yes
1: and i just found out that uh she also wrote some children's books what? which i didn't know i've got to go find out where they are okay <laughs> and like under her name or well, i guess so i was just reading <laughs> something uh she went to fieldston uh uh an ethical college so that mm-hmm. was a lower and a high school uh, here in Manhattan or the Bronx. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you know where Ethical no, College went to? A lot of people went I, to Ethical College. I anyway, know there was like a, yeah Ethical was, Culture Society uh, in ethi- Brooklyn. Yeah, no, no. Oh, That's in, what I meant. In Brooklyn. No, no, not nah. Brooklyn. <laughs> But, it's, oh, yeah. but it was el- ethical culture, not yeah. ethical college. Anyway, okay. I was reading something from her class of whatever it was, 40 or 50. <laughs> and she was talking about, well, writing for television, but also working on some children's books. So I just found out that as well. That's
0: pretty incredible. I love it. Just, like, people can reveal themselves to you. Like, for... When
1: they're no longer alive, because yeah. she's not alive. So yeah, I can't ask that, her what the names that's... of those books were, but.
0: I love that. And I really, okay, anybody who's
1: listening who can help identify this, <laughs> I feel like you
0: must. So,
1: and you know, I have to say that I've never seen one episode of General Hospital. <laughs> so. I had, and you don't look like you're old enough to... Oh, I am quite old enough. I had General a, Hospital
0: My uh, I had a friend in high school especially and he would run home every day to watch it. It was his thing. I was more of a guiding light person. Oh. I wasn't <laughs> technically allowed to watch soap operas but if my grandmother was visiting, my parents couldn't say no to that. <laughs> so, um, But yeah, oh my gosh, did she write Luke and Laura? Yes.
1: (gasps) Wait, I remember those names, definitely. That was her era, if they're still around, I don't even know. Okay, that that is. I remember those names, definitely Luke and Laura. Okay, because that was like their
0: big romantic arc. Okay, this is amazing. (laughs) But you are, you have a a milestone that has come up now. Is Is it 30 years of... La Brea Bakery? Yes. Okay, let's talk through this, because I assume that people know, if you're listening to this podcast, you know what La Brea Bakery is, but if you want to uh, talk a little bit more about that, because it got started kind of as an afterthought, was it? or Well, an it, addition? Was
1: a, it was an afterthought and a compliment mm-hmm. to the restaurant that myself and my then-husband were about to open, which was Campanile.
0: Which is such a fundamental, like, foundational restaurant in American uh, culture and how many years was that open?
1: Um, I kind of lose track (laughs) of time and I left Campanile Mm -hmm. before it actually closed down Mm -hmm. and became what is today Republic which is another Mm -hmm. story which is a great success story Um, but it started in well it was opened in
0: 1989. Mm -hmm. So this is I mean, how do you, uh, what do you do for 30 years of this? Did you, okay, let's back up to before you were doing this. And um, you were, what is your background
1: in culinary before that? Just briefly, Mm -hmm. I started cooking in my college dormitory in (laughs) 1974. Out of necessity or pleasure or both? Out of love. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that'll do it. Out of love. There was a guy, he was cute. I told him I wanted to cook in the dormitory. <laughs> the rest is history. I'm going to go visit him next month. How hot, about that, Oh but hot plates uh, and we're toasters, sort of friends. But uh, oh, I mean, that's that, really, uh, meaning that we, our paths don't cross. But yeah. I am going to go visit him uh, next month. That
0: is lovely. I'm friends with most of my exes. I think it's so, yeah. I think it's a really good thing.
1: Oh, it is a good thing.
0: Yeah, we're talking about your culinary path from your dorm room,
1: right. <laughs> dorm room, to a um, just a beautiful uh, chef owned restaurant in Marin County. Mm -hmm. And from there, it was really Michael's Restaurant Mm -hmm. in Santa Monica in 1979, Mm -hmm. which was really a groundbreaking restaurant where Jonathan Waxman got his start. This was a crucible of cooking that was happening in the area at the time. I'm thinking of all
0: the chefs who came out of there and who came out of Chez Panisse and, and just the sort of diaspora that is still having a huge effect yeah. on dining.
1: Yep. As it should.
0: Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're actually working on something. Maybe I'm not allowed to talk about this or not, but oh, a feature let's talk about it. as a feature for, for next year. We are, uh, <laughs> jokingly, Thomas Keller came up with this, I think, calling it best old chefs. <laughs> and was, yeah, right. <laughs> and he, he was sort of calling that on himself, but we're like, okay, there are so many people who have, and that is not a slam on anyone. This is the people who are still getting it done in the kitchens who wow. have the impact then and are still it's reverberating throughout and I realized that you know there are sort of these sonic booms throughout the country and we've been identifying sort of where those happened and you know west coast you know especially bay area and stuff really really huge I think
1: that was the beginning of that sonic boom
0: I I do too like it's I mean I'm just looking at like Chez and seeing everything that came out of there but you were saying there's also what was
1: Michael's Michael's was mm-hmm. uh, opened in 1979, mm-hmm. uh, Michael McCarty's restaurant, which is still um, still going strong, which is great. Glorious. And there um, I I started at Michael's right after Ken Frank mm-hmm. had left his position and Jonathan Waxman took over mm-hmm. as the chef. Mm-hmm. And he hired me as the assistant pastry chef at Michael's where I was for two years before I went on to open... Spago restaurant in Hollywood with Wolfgang Puck.
0: And Spago, again, we cannot talk enough about the impact of of that and what it did on culinary. And also sort of with with Wolfgang um, being such a, a public persona in maybe a different way than chefs had been. Right it's such an interesting thing to me, this, this particular sort of era, late 70s, early 80s, especially on the West Coast, and then I feel like on the East Coast, you get more into, there's like a 90s thing happening, but who was who do you think was driving this at the, at the time? Would you say, like, or is, it, is, is there a unification of these efforts or is it just sort of cropping up organically and then crossing as people move restaurant to restaurants?
1: I think more cropping up organically because mm-hmm. we didn't have social media then, mm-hmm. right? So that didn't drive it. And we pretty much didn't have television then. Mm-hmm. So that's the only thing that could have dr- driven it mm-hmm. would be that uh, people recognized it and uh, looked at it mm-hmm. and embraced it.
0: I mean, there's unparalleled produce happening and there. <laughs> so there's, there's gotta be, I mean, how much of a factor is that?
1: Well, I think it's a huge factor. For instance, in uh, 1985, mm-hmm. after being um, at Spago since 1982, mm-hmm. I was, um, I was uh, asked to come to Manhattan to try to revamp the menu, along with my, my husband then, uh, at Maxwell's Plum, which is mm-hmm. an institution that many people, and probably many of your listeners, <laughs> kind of go, huh, Maxwell's Plum. But in those days, mm-hmm. it was a pretty uh, well-known restaurant. Uh, It was something that didn't work out, the relationship. However, I loved living in New York. And my first instinct was, I got to move here. I got to open a restaurant here. And I started to look and I found a great uh, space in Soho, which was just starting to come on its own. Mm -hmm. Um, And then when I thought about, okay, and then what am I going to cook? I'm like, uh, wait a minute. There's no produce here. (laughs) Can't do it in New York. Got to move back to Los Angeles, you know? And that's what New York was like back in 1985. I mean, I don't think it's the same now. I think that so many chefs have really um, encouraged farmers to grow produce that they want to cook with, um, and it's a whole different scenario now. But then all there was was some green strawberries from from California and some brown iceberg lettuce heads. You know, there wasn't a whole lot to, to be inspired by. And that was, you know, and driving or being uh, really, really... Um, N- not, not necessarily encouraged, but mm-hmm. influenced by the cooking at Chez Panisse and how fresh and how vibrant and how much of that style was my style. Um, that is what has always inspired me, and I realized I couldn't open a restaurant at that time in, yeah. in New York. It's also, it was very sort of Frenchy. Here. Yeah, it very Frenchy, <laughs> and it, um, it was an ingredient driven no it no. was like recipe driven or something or...
0: yeah I, I think of uh you know maybe some Dover soul mm-hmm. in there or some really good sauce which I love yeah yeah no and so- great sauce oh and and there are some places that have been kicking it this whole time i love to go to La Grande Huyes. I was just gonna say
1: <laughs> I love La Grande Huyes.
0: it's uh, lunch there is such a joy and a pleasure and I, I gave myself um, the treat a few years ago of reading all of Seymour Britschke's reviews throughout the years of, uh, as like throughout maybe a decade of La Grande Wee, and seeing him go from irritated to delighted, yeah. and you know, and he wrote that Lutes cookbook, and yeah. you still feel very special
1: to be eating there. Oh absolutely. Like and one of the chosen few. <laughs>
0: it's know. really really lovely and I love too that the people who are there have been going there for 40-50 years and probably sitting at the in the same place in there and maybe their grandkids are, are there with them and I, I just sort of absorb
1: it all while I can. Yep and there was La Cote Basque and actually mm-hmm. I was um, living in New York the Uh, the era of the quilted giraffe oh yes and a lot of people came through there too
0: I feel like did Tom Colicchio come through there I don't know if
1: Tom Colicchio did but um, now I'm drawing a blank on the wonderful bread baker that (laughs) that was actually the chef there Um, Tomcat Um, what was why Hmm. am I because I'm thinking the bakers who come to mind is like no Tomcat bakery oh I don't know that one Oh, it's been around for not as long as La Brea mm-hmm. Bakery, but it's it was just a few years after La Brea Bakery, Tomcat Bakery. And is it up.
0: is it still, still around here? Oh okay. yeah, i terrible. I've lived here 23 years. I'm a terrible New Yorker for not knowing you gotta this. You got to look at
1: trucks that drive by you yeah. what, with the cats on them. <laughs> oh,
0: oh, okay. Now that you mentioned truck, I get the. I've never. Do they have a brick and mortar, or do they do they, restaurant uh, mostly?
1: Yes, rest. It's all um, it's all uh, wholesale.
0: Okay. Speaking of bread, I have to say the impact that you've had on the bread baking uh, throughout the country. Like, we're, we're going to get to that. I want to sort of finish up your trajectory through this. And then I really want to talk about, like, the influence that you have had on these bakeries that are, are pop, can still continue to pop up, um, luckily here in New York, where you get to benefit from it. But so you, you go back there, you realize you're not going to open a restaurant in New York at that particular time. And then what is your
1: next went move? Went back to Los Angeles. Okay, and are back, you still at Spago? Went back to work at, um, with Wolfgang at okay. Spago for another year he, and he was well aware we were there temporarily mm-hmm. to, um, as we were looking for a restaurant location. Okay, and was
0: Mark cooking there too?
1: And Mark was cooking there and I think also at Chinois. Okay. Um, found a location pretty quickly and started to work on that. Mm. Um, the initial our, our initial thought was to open a restaurant. And then mm. as when I went back to Spago, Wolfgang gave me the project of trying to come up with a couple signature breads for his restaurant. Oh. He was no longer happy with what the choices were in uh, – in Los Angeles mm-hmm. and thought that we should do it in house. Oh, so so that's where I started to dabble. Okay. Not much, but a little.
0: Okay. I was reading about how you came up with your starter. Was there grapes involved? Yes. Okay. Let's talk it through. So you're you're from the West Coast, and right. so I assume you, you have sourdough in your veins. somehow, well, or is s-
1: it sourdough in- eating in my veins, but mm-hmm. not sourdough uh, not the process of making a sourdough loaf was not in my veins. My mother was not a bread baker, mm-hmm. and there weren't really any bakeries around me to sort of uh, hang out at, uh, kind of try <laughs> to pester, or get a little trick, so that wasn't it. But when I was in Spago, what I did, so when I came back to Los Angeles, mm-hmm. um, I came back with you know a few boxes, two children, suitcases, and a small jar of sourdough starter, that my friend Jimmy Brinkley had grown when he was baking bread at Sign of the Dove.
0: Oh my goodness. And another <laughs> one right. from the... I'm just trying to <laughs> throw you these surprises. Lo- it's of. making me so happy.
1: Yes. <laughs> so he was baking bread at Sign of the Dove. Mm-hmm. I thought it was just so fantastic. <laughs> and as a gift, he gave me a small jar of his sourdough. That's all starter. you
0: need. Start a little bit. Right.
1: <laughs> now he had before working at sign of the dove worked with jonathan waxman at jams another yes film. which uh, and there was Name. a revision of it yes
0: and, and as you know our editor-in-chief uh uh jonathan was his uh mentor yes yeah, which I, I do I know that love
1: yeah so jonathan had sent jimmy to acme bakery mm-hmm. in california in berkeley which was an offshoot of shape and mm-hmm. and jimmy had staged there mm-hmm. and uh Kind of learned a little bit about bread baking. Mm-hmm. Anyway, Jimmy understood how S- Steve Sullivan had grown his sourdough. Jimmy made one in New York. He was making bread at Sign of the Dove. Jimmy gave me this sourdough. I came to Spago, and that's what I used to make the initial loaves at Spago. Is that starter still alive? Well, no. That isn't. Mine that I've started mm-hmm. at La Brea Bakery is definitely still alive. So is that is that a 30-year starter at this it's point? It's uh, at least a 30-year starter because I I would say a 31-year-old starter, which is nothing in the start the life of starters <laughs> because right. we hear these stories of oh. handing starters down from mm-hmm. generation to generation, but the fact is they do live. And I have heard that if you were to put my starter under a microscope, you would be able to trace all of the – starters that I have given other people so there's maybe some very very 23 unique little (laughs) yeah I think we should start 23 and being starters I think that's a great idea i'm so here for that <laughs> let's do it i think food and wine should start that, that. i am here for
0: this because i i have one that my friend stacy uh gave hers is pilu and she had gotten pilu from somebody i have bernard named her bernard clayton <laughs> oh <laughs> that's a smart name uh, and i gave some to a colleague who um named hers uh audrey too <laughs> and uh, and and it and gave it out to a couple of different people and it's it's so fun to be able to to share that kind of thing yes um, could you explain just for a sec to people who maybe don't know the kind of mechanics of a starter exactly what that thing is and how it speaks to place?
1: Well, and if I cannot get overly complicated because <laughs> it is a little bit complicated, yeah. but basically, what you're, what someone that grows their own sourdough starter, yeah. is growing a culture to, to, um, f- as an alternate to a bought a bought yeast so you're you're cultivating a leavening a way to to uh, ferment the flour in the water to turn it into a loaf of bread um, and so there's all different ways of making a starter first of all there's all these natural um bacterias that are, that grow uh on flour right and that are in the air and theoretically you can mix some flour and water leave it out something is going to catch on to it, and soon it's going to become bubbly, and if you take care of it by feeding that, mm-hmm. and feeding it means giving it more flour and water for consistency, you can, uh, you can grow your own yeast, and that's really what a sourdough starter is. But there's many, many benefits of it. You know, A, a sourdough starter is, um, is a strain of uh, yeast that reacts much slower than a commercially bought yeast and therefore breads can ferment a lot longer, all sorts of nuances. If the flavor of the sourdough starter itself can be discovered in your bread, that I don't think. I mean Mm -hmm. it's just that flavor is developed through the process of how you make bread. And I gotta tell you, in a blind tasting Mm -hmm. I'm not good about blind tasting wine, but I tell (laughs) you right now, I can always taste if that bread is mine, and I, and I have that opportunity to do that only because La Brea Bakery has an internationally available bread program, um, and so I could be anywhere in the country, and I could eat mm-hmm. um, a, a chunk of bread, mm-hmm. and I can say, I know that they get that from La Brea Bakery.
0: I wonder how uh, – this, maybe this is silly, but I wonder how much of you is in there because you've spent so much time with the starter. There's got to be something. Oh, I'm sure
1: there's some follicles in there. <laughs>
0: yeah, so there's, there's got to be, like, something like that. I, I was just um, at a conference, and they were talking about – I forget what the word is in Korean um, – but there's, there's this particular word of uh, for the taste that comes from your mother having made the food and it has to do actually kind of with the bacteria wow. on her hands. Wow. And there was an artist, um, there's an the incredible exhibition at the Victoria and Albert right now. And this, this artist has tried to identify the bacteria on various like mother's hands and then replicated it into something so people can actually sort of take that with them and take their mother's like hand cooking with them. So I wonder if there's something of that that in there, could be. I, think,
1: I wish I could remember. That's what, that what you're finding out when you open your 23andMe <laughs> sourdough. You get that email. You get yeah, <laughs> it.
0: Right. You find it. I did that and with, you have relatives. You know, <laughs> oh pops my gosh! Yeah. Where have they been fooling around? <laughs> Whose loaf is that? Where did you make yeah. that?
1: <laughs> <laughs> Who gave you that? Because
0: right. <laughs> you know that people have been like pension bits of right, i yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kidding. Oh my gosh! It's funny. Can you copyright any of
1: No, I mean, I'm sure people have tried to genetically profile the definitely. There's gonna be like a Mari Povich
0: moment. No, I know that people have tried to. (laughs) That's such an interesting thing to me, but like it's but it's gotta be a matter of the starter and then I mean, I uh, baby steps. I have such baby steps on this. I have this starter that I try not to kill and periodically, if I'm going, they're stronger than you think. I was so surprised. I had I divided it into a few different batches, and there was one that. I was just dumb about, and I mixed accidentally like a multi-grain flour in there, and then it just turned to trash. But I still always have the runoff that I keep in my uh, in my fridge, and I was able to bring some things yeah. back to life, and
1: I felt really good about that. Well, here in New York, are you familiar with um, Baltazar Bakery? Oh yes, yes, yes. So what do you think about that bakery? Brilliant. Brilliant. I mean, it's gold standard. And yeah. my friend Paula Oland um, still runs. Baltazar Bakery since it started out. Paula Olin moved with me from Los Angeles when I went to Maxwell's Plum, and mm-hmm. when I left it, I introduced her to Jimmy, and she worked with Jimmy at Sign of the Dove. Okay, so Jimmy and 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 Paula made the you know did the desserts, but they also baked loaves of bread, and. Jimmy, and Jimmy, I hope you're not listening because I do really <laughs> love you. But when Jimmy left, he was really, really angry. Mm. And he threw all of – he he dumped the entire bucket of sourdough starter oh. on the floor. And Paula, I think, <laughs> scraped up a tablespoon or two, and that's what you are eating when you have the bread at Balza's Our Bakery. Okay, just absolutely <laughs> blew my mind think, for people who are just so, listening. But I I'm did. just saying that it, wow. beca- in terms of letting you yeah. know how forgiving – you know, it's like, pow, sourdough starter, it is strong, you know, it wants to live. And uh, so, um, uh, I mean, less, so I think, you know, there's that chicken it.
0: soup for the soul. I think there's like sourdough starter for yes. the soul, yeah. like lessons of resilience in, in there. I, it's funny, I think of these like, most chef movies are Terrible, and they they show you know chef out of control doing whatever it is. I, I wonder bad if anybody, behavior. Or something. Yeah, I wonder if anybody has done a like you know tossing out the starter. Sorry, thing. Yeah, I mean there was that whole Anthony Bourdain uh, chapter about you know feed uh, it uh, where uh, I think the um, the the bread maker was so you know so deeply talented but was sometimes a little too hungover yeah. to come in and would just call and be like feed her. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: But if you didn't feed it for a day, it's not good. No, no. <laughs> Not Maybe at just all. that day's bread is it's not tired and hungry. You know, like yeah. I, when I wrote the whole uh, well when I wrote the Lorraine Bakery mm-hmm. cookbook and I devoted a lot of pages at that that time to what I knew about sourdough starter, um, but or just sourdough bread in general. I talked about for me it was the changing moment um, was when I really really came to terms with the fact that bread is alive. Yes, and that when you work with it you have to treat it as something as alive. And you can't control it. You have to understand it and help it by all the knowledge that you have to help it. Just like a parent at a certain age is very hard to control a child. Oh yeah. Right? But you want to give it all the support. And when I when that relation when my relationship changed from trying to control it and make it be a certain way until I understood bread and its nuances and how to work with it and encourage it to be a better loaf. That was when I felt like I finally became a baker.
0: I love that because there is, there's been this, especially in the age of, of sort of social media and online community, there has been this strain of what a friend of mine termed the sourdough bros. Yeah. And it's a very techie approach yeah. to this and it's all very precise and, yeah. and I'm sure it's great bread, but it's not going to be the same thing. Thing as 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 that, and it is very much a, a sort of there's a, there's a site that I actually really always loved called Cooking for Engineers, and it's highly precise. And you know, my dad is a retired chemist, and yeah, you know, wonderfully exactly. like precise about these kind of things. But I'm here. I've never been all that interested in precision.
1: Yeah. And I don't, <laughs> I don't understand it. And I feel that if I did understand mm-hmm. it, and I approached bread making mm-hmm. with that knowledge, I don't think I would have gotten as far as I. As I was able to get because I would have felt that there were too many um, roadblocks, you know, too many limitations. But because they didn't understand bread at all from a scientific Mm -hmm. uh, perspective, which is, I think, the way people understand bread making now. Mm -hmm. um, Yeah, I think I maybe would have just stopped add a white loaf and that would have been
0: a, you know. I think I kind of uh, stalled out at Holla. Yeah oh <laughs> wow it's a good
1: thing to stall out on. I though. mean it's
0: it's not a bad thing at all. Um, somebody had given me that Bernard Clayton book. Um, I think you know when I was stress baking in grad school um, I and they said well you want to do this you might as well like learn how to make bread and I find it to be a uh, such a deeply soothing yeah. thing, and the the stage I'm at now is because I, I ran into a whole bunch of gut problems, and so I had to steer clear for a while. But a friend of mine who's a very avid uh, sourdough maker, who was the one who gave me her starter, she was saying that now um, there are certain ways of fermentation that make it, they it breaks down digestible. the digestible, yeah,
1: yeah, and also using you know using more and more whole grains is yeah. so much better. And there's certain strains of you know heritage wheat that people mm-hmm. are using now. Oh, that I think brilliant. that people that um, have, you know, kind of uh, shied away for those kinds of uh, reasons from from bread should sort of revisit it mm-hmm. and revisit it from bakeries that are that are you know using these heritage grains and uh, and these whole grains because it's going to be a lot more digestible.
0: I, I had a moment um, just actually last week that was it felt like a real step forward because i had you know i i had had to step away from bread some just because this horrifying gut thing that i have is fermentable fibers it's the problem and i sort of set a rule for myself for eating if if it said i can only have it in this situation this i'm only ever going to get this once in a lifetime experience go ahead eat the thing just feel terrible later Mm -hmm. it's not anaphylactic it's not really going to hurt me so you know i'll go ahead and do it so i actually it started last year when i was in copenhagen there's all this sourdough and i was just like of course i'm going to eat this and you know and I, i did kind of okay um but I was in Norway, and there was a butter maker. I, I had the best butter of my no. entire life. And, of course, they were serving it with these giant hunks of, of sourdough. Yeah. And I'm not going to turn that down. And it it, it was like a religious experience. It felt like the first time I was ever eating bread and butter. And I thought, okay, I need to introduce this back in. Because that's, I mean, life without bread is, it, it, it feels somehow metaphorically even incorrect. Like... It
1: is. I mean, yeah, loaves and fishes, right? It's exactly. Been... <laughs> yeah, there's something biblical, yeah, there's I guess, is where biblical. I was going. There's something
0: quite biblical about that. And I realized how sorry I was feeling for, for myself without some of these things. And I actually was sort of ranting in a planning meeting yesterday. We were all talking about, like, okay, what are the bread things we can do? And I sort of stopped and, and said for a second, I'm so glad we're out of this carbophobic thing. Phase of American culture, that was a dark yeah. time for a while there. I mean, how did you feel the impact of that when people were sort of not, it, it felt like people were sort of being really, they were stepping, oh, I'm not having bread, I'm not.
1: You, you know, so what I'll tell you what we got, because uh, in those days where that, I, f- I feel like when it just started, which mm-hmm. was shortly after our bakery opened, you know, early 90s, mm-hmm. does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, it was starting that to be, yeah. all of a sudden people decided that they were going to eliminate. Mm-hmm carbs so what I would hear from our customers because I would be working in the bakery during the day so I did get to uh have FaceTime with mm-hmm. with a lot of our customers and so many said I gotta tell you I'm not eating carbs anymore except for <laughs> when I come here and buy a loaf of your bread so it was almost uh it was you know it was a treat or people were being a lot more selective so yeah. I can't say that it really it I didn't notice an yeah. impact, and people, you know, journalists around that time used to come and ask me all the time. So, how has this affected you? Mm. And I don't think it really, it really did.
0: That's okay. That's really, really good to know. And I think, isn't that uh, doesn't that feel good to be the exception? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> be like, oh, you're 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 my, you're my cheat day. You're right, my, <laughs> right, exactly. You know, whatever it happens to be. Um, I also want to talk about the fact that you have a really um, special relationship to mozzarella. Yes, in in uh, and I've been. To um, pizzeria. Oh wow! And oh my lord! And the, and that was one of those things where I felt like, okay, this is the first time I'm really eating pizza, and I, I love pizza. I've you know just always have. I'd never had it interpreted in the way that you did it there, where it has that crust and it has that cheese as well. So can we can we talk about how you got there? So you were you were at uh, you know at the you were leaving. Um, Wolfgang, and you were opening Campanile, and then...
1: And I was there for, again, I'm not a good uh, keeper (laughs) of time, but I'm at least 15 or something years. I was at Campanile in the Brea Bakery, and then I left to open up my own restaurant, Mm -hmm. Um, and it's funny to think that for the second time in my life, the sort of the very successful part of our business, which is the pizzeria, Mm -hmm. was also an afterthought. So my intention <laughs> really? was to open up this restaurant with my partners and uh, it was going to be a restaurant. Mm-hmm. That was it. In Osteria, yeah. there was going to be a mozzarella bar in the middle of this restaurant. Okay, You say
0: mozzarella bar like people have just been doing that. Oh okay, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's a
1: mozzarella bar. <laughs> um, and when I found my location, for the re- and we'll go back. I'm not avoiding that subject, by the way. I'll okay, just we'll, the, we'll, we'll get there. I'll but just like, finish yeah. the pizzeria because yeah. it's kind of interesting. Yeah. So I was when I, in looking for a location for for my restaurant. Um, it happened to that the uh, location that I found, the person that had the lease also had a pizzeria next to it, oh my and God. he didn't want to give me the pizzeria. Okay, but I for a number of years had put it. Somewhere in my to do list, that I really <laughs> want to figure out how to make pizza.
0: Was because the dough, because you had this relationship with
1: dough? What was it? And also that I had tasted Chris Bianco's pizza in Arizona. And I was so, I was so in love with that pizza that mm-hmm. I ate. You know, for, I grew up in the era where pizza was just a vehicle. For tomato sauce and <laughs> melted cheese, you right. know, the pe- crust, the crust had nothing, you know, in that relationship. Oh, people and pick the crust. My yeah, husband who doesn't care about, about, yeah. who cared doesn't about eat. the crust. It was, he takes his crust tomato sauce eat. and cheese. Yeah. and I went to Chris Bianca's pizzeria in in Phoenix, and mm. I was like, wow, this is not only this delicious. This crust is. I got to do this one mm-hmm. day. But you know, as we all know, we're busy and we don't always have the time or the reason to do it. But it was there. And as soon as I saw that this location that I liked had a pizzeria attached to it, Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm there, I'm gonna force myself to teach, you know, to learn how to make a pizza. I'm gonna teach myself how to make a pizza.
0: Silly question, what made it a pizzeria? Is it it the kind of, uh, you say there was one there, is that the Well, it actually was a pizzeria. okay.
1: It had a wood-burning oven. Mm -hmm. I thought, I'll go in, paint the walls, (laughs) And and uh, and change out the tables. And that wasn't the case. It was gutted. We built a yeah. new pizza oven. So it's true. Right. I didn't even need that pizzeria, except for that there was the, um, venting for it, right? Oh, the exhaust system. Crucial. Skin, so. though. But I thought I would just keep that oven that they had. I had no idea that <laughs> that, that was not even going to happen. So I could have done it anywhere. But this gave me the incentive to finally accomplish that. So, you know, for the second time in my life, it was not... The intention, yeah, but it ended up being a successful part of these three restaurants that I have on Highland and Melrose.
0: So you've got the Osteria, the pizzeria, and then the bakery.
1: And the, no, at keesfaka. Oh, and because yes. La Brea Bakery is still on right. La Brea, but not at the original location. Mm-hmm. It's a block up the street. Okay, so
0: but you've you've got these places. Okay, the
1: Mozzarella Bar. Let's talk about. <laughs> Um, so the mozzarella bar is um, the marble bar mm-hmm. inside the restaurant where uh, three cooks, sometimes myself, is behind that counter um, doing all the antipasti for the restaurant. Mm-hmm. So the largest portion of the antipasti is dishes that have to do with uh, mozzarella mm-hmm. and the cousins of, of uh, mozzarella, which is ricotta mm-hmm. and... Uh, well uh cows uh, bufala mozzarella, mm-hmm. both imported and one that we uh, purchase locally um, and uh, we then we do all sorts of salads and all the cold things come out of that that bar but it's a beautiful um, focal point of the restaurant, hence the name moza from yeah. mozzarella
0: but that's also a, a that that particular cheese i it's sort of like a living thing too it's it's not it seems like you keep uh, sort of orienting toward these these things that have a particular life in a different way than say like a hard cheese arrives there and yes it's still alive It's still got all these things going on but there's something about those th- those particular sort of soft cheeses
1: well think, most when you think of that I yeah. think immediately and I left out one of the most important and beloved cousin of of the cow's milk mozzarella which is burrata. Mm. Good God. And we do a lot with burrata.
0: And I feel like the country has been going through like a burrata moment yeah. over the past. Yeah. <laughs> I no longer,
1: you know, I do cooking uh, demonstrations and I do food talks, and I never, I no longer need to describe what burrata oh, is. Yeah. You know, it's really a household name. But, you know, ten years ago plus, it wasn't, and it certainly was on the west coast. It took a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. As most things do to come to the East Coast, I have to say.
0: I have to say there's a a place in Little Italy. I'm totally blanking on the name of it. And it was the first place that I ever had it. And they were hauling it out of the bucket. Yeah. And I had it. And it just it was one of those moments where it, it felt so familiar. And at the same time, I knew I'd never had it before. And I just thought, like, where have you been my whole life? And then in the original incarnation um of Teresi, it was yeah. this super magical moment where they would have this really, really fresh burrata that was um on, on on a garlic bread and it was just this holy moment. Yeah, it's all
1: you need too, right?
0: Yeah. And it and it's so simple and at the same time such a complex, glorious pleasure to have and so you you've concentrated on these things how much of an education did you have to give yourself about this you know I have
1: to uh let you know that I don't make Mm -hmm. the mozzarella at the Mm -hmm. restaurant and I don't make it because Los Angeles has a few fantastic Mm. burrata and mozzarella but you still have to understand it but Jeff well so what let's see I feel like I think that with I mean With a cheese like mozzarella, both Mm -hmm. buffalo and cow's milk, Mm -hmm. that it's such a um, mild Mm -hmm. flavored cheese. It's actually very easy because so many things Mm complement it. Like, if I was going to open up, say, like a Gorgonzola bar, you know, like, (laughs) I want to come to your Gorgonzola bar. How long would that menu be, right? (laughs) No, that. It's just a beautiful canvas. Mm That if you allow the cheese always to be the Mm -hmm. star, which Mm -hmm. I try to do, Mm -hmm. it's so easy to come up with ingredients that go with it. Like, for instance, with buffalo milk mozzarella, Mm -hmm. one of my all-time favorites is just a delicious can of or tin Mm -hmm. of Spanish anchovies Mm -hmm. and buffalo milk mozzarella and a beautiful Mm -hmm. bottle of... Green, spicy olive oil, and I could just and then I we'll thought you were gonna destroy. say like
0: like Lambrusco, and yeah. I was like, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> or Banarda. <laughs> but you know
1: that to me, anchovies and buffalo are just like a combination that cannot be beat.
0: And I can't currently do the cheese either. I can do hard, che- I can do aged cheeses and things, wow. but so it's just one of those things. But like, but this is one of those things that makes me set goals. Like I have to get better so I can yeah. have. These things, but I've also—I was going to say, like you say, it's such a simple thing too. But I've definitely been at restaurants where it was just not served with love. No, where I was at one particular place that was sort of known for it, its mozzarella, and I was—and I had brought people there specifically, saying, "Ha ha, we're going to order this," and—and and I got there, and it was such. A disappointment like they picked it up from a grocery store and it was cold and it was. And I, I was shameful. I was, uh, I was mortified in front of my friends too because I had talked it up so much and I just felt like a jerk and I also felt deprived of that particular <laughs> yeah. pleasure. But yeah, there's I don't know, there's that art to it. Um, but let's, uh, let's rip off the band aid for one second. You had a partner there at yeah. uh, at Moza in Austria and. Um, you no longer have that partner. <laughs> but
1: I have another one. I mean, uh, my original partner also was Joe Bastianich. Okay. He, he still is okay, yes. um, a partner, and now with his sister, Tanya.
0: Oh, I didn't... I, yeah. For some reason, I never realized there was a sister in there, yes. too. Oh,
1: so okay. Tanya has always sort of quietly helped Lydia mm-hmm. with her restaurants, mm-hmm. her cookbooks, her TV shows. But now Tanya has really stepped in as an active Partner to support Joe, mm-hmm. especially in all the restaurants in um, in New York.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, that's good. I I like knowing who those yes. sort of the quiet people yeah. who actually get it done are. Tanya. That's that's really such an interesting thing because I I know that there are so many restaurant groups that have that person whose name you don't necessarily hear, but like those doors would not be open. Right. Like you know, chefs aren't uh, always business people. They aren't oh you know they they you know need to be able to be free to do various things and and it's been a really interesting thing to watch chefs become business people. Like, can you talk about reconciling that part of it? Um, for you so you you went into it opening restaurants well after you know after you'd been with Wolfgang and things you were opening this restaurant how did you teach yourself that part of the business is that something that came naturally to you
1: is that anything you wanted to do no and it continues not to be I've been really lucky to find people that they enjoy and understand (laughs) and can be tough Mm -hmm. in the part that makes you have a restaurant rather than not having a restaurant. Right. I mean, it's, and and I've always been able to partner up since Campanile yeah. with very, very strong management, which is great because that's a part of the business that I'm not as passionate about. Yeah. Your
0: brain needs to be free to talk yeah. to Sourdough. Yeah,
1: exactly. And,
0: and innovate new Things and 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 be that kind of thing. Right. And
1: you can't I, do. I mean, some people can, but mm-hmm. for myself, it's something that I can't do at all. And I recognize. And I recognize that.
0: Partnerships are, are really really tough. To um, we had Melissa Rodriguez um, on here. She was the the guest that we did the episode last week, and she was talking about kind of the the, the painful wrenching after Mario Batali and having to weather that and having to guide. A team and a staff in in the wake of that, and that being, you know, an incredibly difficult and emotional thing to sort of keep on on course and still follow through on mission while dealing with something that is incredibly painful. And I know you must have had to contend with that some with your
1: team as well. Well, the difference is, I think, in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. the people that work for me work for me. Yeah. And even though the names were there, yeah, it wasn't the association. Yeah. And I think in the New York restaurants, yeah. People use that sort of as bragging rights. Yeah, I work for. Yeah, you know, very much. And it wasn't that mm-hmm. wasn't Los Angeles. So in that sense, yeah. I didn't have the same difficulties okay. that something like someone like Melissa would have. Yeah, you know, it was very it was very separate.
0: Hats off to her too. For yeah, like she has. Oh wow, and oh, that's a
1: great restaurant. She's so, so talented. good
0: and so um, graceful and tough and meticulous and hardworking and I cannot say enough yeah. good things Agreed. about Melissa Rodriguez and her leadership and um, I I have to go back in there and um, and dine again because I think the last time I'd been in there was the week before
1: everything oh, wow. broke so well, I was I've been there since a few times and her cooking is oh, fantastic
0: yeah she's so yeah. she's stunningly talented yeah. and, and the ownership that she shows of that too because you know the previous um, CDC was so talented as yes. well and like there's there's been really a lineage of incredible Incredible um, chefs going through there too, yeah. and she's made it her own in a way that, like,
1: kudos to you, yeah. Melissa
0: Rodriguez. I just think she's such and an incredible a person. And that's a big
1: ship to have to that. be a captain of. She told me I how mean. many seats is. I forget yeah. how it was like and several hundred. private dining is like uh, enormous. Yeah,
0: I can't even imagine what people must expect in that PDR. They're in this <laughs> where the like the main dining room is already so over the top. I can't even. Am- we we had been there for a friend's birthday and uh, or my friend who had made the arrangements stuff had been like major D at Danielle for like a thousand years and stuff. So he was, you know, industry. So I knew that like, we were already like getting like, you know, exceptional treatment. I'm sure everybody there does, but I can't even imagine what must happen in that PDR. <laughs> like I, I think of those as one of those like ortolan rooms or, yeah, or something. Not that Melissa would serve ortolan right. Just want to <laughs> caveat <laughs> that would not happen. But uh, uh, yeah, that had to be such a tremendous thing um a thing that I really loved about going in, into pizzeria I went with a um a friend who had been there many many times and I felt so relaxed and happy and like we, I think we ordered everything <laughs> absolutely everything and I just I had to stop myself from uh just absolutely like gorging myself there but it was it was such a pleasure it felt like I was eating pizza for the first time in a, in a different kind of way because I hadn't had it on the West Coast before. And I know that's so silly. But uh, your interpretation of it was such a, a different kind of thing.
1: I think now, you know, so pizzeria is 13-ish years wow. old. Um, uh, I think that in uh, certainly in the last eight years, <clears throat> there have been so many pizzerias mm-hmm. with a personal vision oh New York we got that right (laughs) Um, all over the country Mm -hmm. that it's more expected I think that or or more it's not as unique Mm -hmm. Um, I think 13 years ago it was probably unique to come into a pizzeria and uh, experience kind of what we had to offer
0: yeah because it was, I think it was about consistency and uh, I'm, I'm thinking of the childhood pizza. We actually had really good stuff. I grew up in northern Kentucky, Cincinnati, and we actually had some really good local chains. Mm-hmm. With, uh, there was one called Snappy Tomato <laughs> that I really, really liked, and um, La Rosa's, which was this other one. And I mean, you could probably blindfold me and I know I would know if it was a La Rosa's yeah. pizza or not. Like, but it's, it's one of those things that just imprints on you as, as a kid. Was there something, uh, though, like growing up, wh- what was the drive? to do
1: this? Really the drive was to make my pizza yeah. and I think I approached it both from a cook's yeah. perspective and a bread maker's perspective. So you had and Bianco's I, pizza. and I, I had his yeah. and so you know it always helps to have the bar right mm-hmm. so I knew that what I wanted to achieve was not sort of the cardboard soggy cardboard pizzas of my youth so i knew that there was hope (laughs) they're right they are they are still good i know people at the restaurant and pizzeria they love costco's pizza and i kind of think of that that's great stuff yeah they love so there's still that craving and there's there's that nostalgia for that but I knew I just really wanted to be able to kind of utilize all my bread making yeah. knowledge in you know, creating half of the pizza experience and making sure that there was equal attention to the crust and what went on top. The and joy. that's what I really try to do and uh, in, in, in creating the pizzas. You know. It's gotta
0: have that joy to it. Yes. I mean, I remember when Oto um, opened up here and I, I, I sort of loved it from the get-go, but it wasn't a kind of pizza that people were used to, especially yeah. that lardo pie. Yeah, because there was, it, it was so simple because it was just that crust and, um, you know, shaved cured yeah. fat and and some sea salt and olive oil and, and people were like lardo. What's what's that? And I had it, and it was it and and it was a very thin crust, but people really reacted. Yeah. Quite strongly yeah. to it, and and they didn't know what they were being served because it was it was just a thing we really hadn't had, and I don't remember what year Oto open but there was also pushback against the olive oil gelato yes. which has now become right. so standard yep. but like you know uh you know Kurtzman totally blanking on her first name <laughs> um, Meredith Kurtzman yeah Meredith yeah yeah oh my gosh and Shh. Gina De Palma yep. like really what they were doing was so revolutionary and and beautiful and I I think people forget their names uh, sometimes or like forget their sort of legacy sometimes when we all should be bowing down yeah you know and 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 not be uh, forgotten cuz that that's such a really important legacy but uh, yeah. you know all these these things that come out and like i'm thinking of these simple pleasures of like pizza gelato bread bread <laughs> uh, mozzarella <laughs> good glass of wine i feel like i did have you know, I keep, I have su- such like sense memories of this meal that I had. I'm sorry to harp on pizzeria. I don't mean to be giving Austria a short shrift. It's That's just okay. like, <laughs> it just I imprinted it. on me in a particular way. And I, I believe we had a sparkling red of, of some sort. And mm-hmm. I do love one of those. Mm-hmm. So it just, it just really hit me in, in a particular way. Um, but you're also working on other things. You're, you're consulting on, on things. You're opening other or yeah, things Yeah, I'm opening too. up
1: a uh, couple new, uh, I have a couple <coughs> new projects mm-hmm. in the works in Los Angeles. Wow. One is um, in Culver City, mm-hmm. which is an area that in the next couple of years is just gonna tr- transform itself yeah. into a, a, uh, an area where there's gonna be so much um, tech companies coming in. Yeah. So there's going to be lots of offices and lots of office workers. And mm. so I am going to be one of about 10 people in a small food court. Oh, lucky and, wa- lucky workers. Yeah. <laughs> um and I'm kind of designing a menu that is geared towards people that are going to be bringing their lunch back to the office mm. and they need to eat it at their desk cuz it I'm seems one of those like people. that is <laughs> oh, yeah. the the way the world is headed right now. A lot yeah. of people eating at lunchtime right and not mm-hmm. Eating out, actually sitting, but bringing their their food That's, back to work. Yeah, I
0: do that far too so often. So the name
1: of my place is going to be called Pizette. So it's going to be small pizzas, so pizzas mm-hmm. that can fit on, on a desk, mm-hmm. um, and ones that you'd want to eat at lunchtime rather than not to say that the pizza that we do at the pizzeria is huge. It's twelve inches. It's not a sixteen inch, mm-hmm. right? Um, but this is going to be sort of an eight inch pizza, much smaller, mm-hmm. Pizette, and there'll be a few salads. This is quick serve, by the yeah. way. And then I'm also going to be baking that pizza dough in the same size as um, as the pizzette. Mm. But instead of treating it like a pizza, I'm going to be treating it more like a pita. And I'm going oh. to be making sandwiches where I'm going to be stuffing them from above. So there'll be pizzette, right. stuffed pizzette, not mm. cooked, stuffed pizzette, but pizzette, and, um, and salads. So... And that sounds perfect. Wine and beer, you know, and oh quick serve. And then the other project I'm doing, I was saying earlier that Rocco uh, Despirito Oh, we were having a love fest yes. about <laughs> Rocco Spirito right before this. <laughs> uh, he connected me with his partner in The Standard, where he is, mm-hmm. to, to a project that the, um, um, he also is, a, not Rocco, but his partner is also a mm-hmm. part owner of an iconic hotel in Los Angeles called the Hollywood Roosevelt Hotel. And, and it's on that? Hollywood Boulevard. It was the hotel that was the home to the first Academy Awards oh. in 1920-whatever. Um, and it is beautiful, beautiful historic building. And I'm going to be doing the restaurant in there and the food in the hotel lobby. Oh, my gosh. And a bar to the side, which is going to be a wine and cheese bar. And I'm doing an Italian steakhouse at the Whoa. hotel. And I'm naming it the bearish, which is the last name of my father's uncles or my father's family on his mother's side, who were cattle farmers in Saskatchewan, Canada I love this it's so it's, it feels good it has a story, yeah, makes sense I love this
0: and i and I love that you're still innovating uh like like it it i think it would be easy to like Rest on your laurels because you have a freaking forest of laurels. But like Thomas Keller said, what did
1: he say to you when you were talking about the new American chef? I forget. You know, and I I remember I did. I got the award the year after Thomas did. Okay. So whatever year he did, I think he was seventy nine. I think I was eighty, and I remember the letter because it said, "Congratulations, you've won the best new chef." Mm -hmm. Um, Chefs that have gotten in the past. Thomas Kelly, you know, that was, I think he was in the initial class. Yeah, he was. And so I, we, I think it's myself and my, my, uh, Mark Peel were the second class, I think.
0: Oh, we, I I love, love this list, uh, best new chefs. And and we look, but it was a call. It wasn't called that though. What's it called now? It, it, now it's best new chefs. Okay. Then it was some previous accolades. So this, this current class is the 31st. Yeah. Um, class, But there there was something before that, and I can find out um, what that is and and put it in the show notes. But it's one of those things where we look back now and see, like, okay, so... You were right. Yeah, what, <laughs> what has come out of it? There's some people on there who like, want to
1: cross their names off. And well, I was a class with Todd English. <sighs> yes. And I don't think there was somebody... Yeah. I forget who the chef was, and forgive mm-hmm. me. There was a chef from Washington, D.C., I mm-hmm. believe, and I think that he is still... A working oh, chef, but is it Patrick? Uh, no, oh, not Pat, no, no, not
0: Patrick no. O'Connell. Okay, I'll, I, I can look back to that. But that lesson. was my
1: class, Todd English, and that's where I met Todd. English.
0: Oh, Todd English. I have some feelings there that I will not share <laughs> on, on air currently. <laughs> um, but it's you know, it's it's really fun to look um, th- through all these and and see this and see the impact of it. And I and I wanted to circle back to actually we were talking about. The impact that you've had on American baking, because you you were doing this in, maybe little pockets of, of people making breads, but you you have this footprint. You set it down. I love that it's you know La Brea too, which I you know associate with tar pits and yeah. all this thing, this kind of stuff. But this like foundational layer of 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 things that are. You, we see, we see what has come and then we see what has come out of, of, of things. And I know I'm mixing my metaphors really terribly. No, then, no, no. But like roots <laughs> of civilization and all these, these kind of things. Um, but what have you seen the sort of uh, what has come out of who are the people who learned from you who have carried it on where you're happy to see your legacy
1: continuing to evolve while you're while you're still working and doing all of this? Well, you know, I'll tell you what I'm really happy about and um, is that Los Angeles mm-hmm. and uh, the just the baking scene mm-hmm. in Los Angeles is so dynamic now, and it was so sleepy. I, I couldn't understand after the success of La Brea Bakery, because mm-hmm. La Brea Bakery was a success from the beginning, yes. I'm happy to say. And I was surprised that right away I didn't get, I don't want to say copycats, but I didn't mm-hmm. get more people that were encouraged by the success of my bakery to open bakeries. It took a long time. And now in Los Angeles, I think, well, I'm a little prejudiced because I think (laughs) the food is really great in Los Angeles. It is really great, yeah. uh, You know, has always been, but even more so now. Mm. The quality of the bakeries in Los Angeles, I think, Mm. is just so high. And I'm really happy about that.
0: That's really you great. know,
1: and they're doing it all better than I ever did, and it's <laughs> oh, great. I, I I think you're still the gold standard of this.
0: That's, I mean, and that's got to feel really incredible. Are there any particular people who like you know they they studied with you for a long time, they worked with you for a long time, and they've gone and you know, done a thing in particular?
1: Well, I have great people that uh, worked uh, for me that are all over the place. in, yeah. in Los Angeles, Roxana, oh. who has um, friends and family. Yes. And um, and Elizabeth Balcon who has Cake Monkey. Um, what a name! <laughs> I know uh, Kim Boyce up in Portland. Mm-hmm. She was she was fantastic. Um, Michelle, uh, she changed, she her. I don't have her married name at the mm-hmm. tip of my tongue, but she was at Big Sir Bakery. Mm-hmm. Um, lots and lots of people that 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 worked. At, uh, at La Brea Bakery in Campanile, they have gone off to have fantastic, fantastic bakeries.
0: I love that. And also you wrote a
1: very a fundamental book. There that was a long time too. ago.
0: Yeah. So what year did that book come?
1: It came, so La Brea Bakery opened in oh. 1989. So it came out probably late 90s.
0: It, it's, I assume? It's one of those foundational... It's one of the facts. early,
1: you know, it was one of the early ones. Yeah. You know, when I started La Brea Bakery, you know, you mm-hmm. have to remember, there weren't the bakers to talk to, and yeah. there certainly yeah. weren't the books to read, mm-hmm. and there most certainly weren't the classes. I mean, I think every culinary school now has a very aggressive bread program as well. Oh, you yeah. have to. Yeah. But those didn't exist then, and so a lot of it in the book, and I, and I was very honest about writing about it, was that this is what I learned as I taught myself to be a baker, yeah, at La Brea Bakery, without any sort of scientific knowledge to mm-hmm. back up what I was doing, it was all trial and error. And you know, I still have my book that I wrote. Now, I mean, I'm talking about my recipe book mm-hmm. that I used while I was creating these, be- you know, these breads, and they're all handwritten and they're all crossed out like one tablespoon of malt cross out one and a quarter tea you know and two teaspoons i mean it was such small batches that i was making and and i you know have the notes to all of the changes in all of these recipes can you
0: imagine the the spores that are in there too
1: and they are because they're stuck on the page if you see it they're they're all crusted (laughs) they're all crusted on there oh
0: well we 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 were talking a bunch recently on the, on the team about, you know, about Chef's Notebooks, and we're, we're actually doing something coming up that is a, like, sort of oriented toward there, but I love crusty Pages. About Chef's Notebooks.
1: Nope. Mm-hmm. You know, one picture, one, um, then if you have any photographs, I can give you a great photograph if you want. Yes. And that is um, Adam Perry Lang. Oh, yeah. So his bathrooms, he created in his bathrooms at his restaurant in Hollywood, APL, mm-hmm. wallpaper, That was taken from the notes of the different restaurants that he worked at in France.
0: I love that so much. Isn't that great? I think that's such a gorgeous thing. So
1: I think you should... (laughs) <laughs> take a picture of his bathroom oh
0: my god and i i'll see if we need to edit this out or not but we have a, a feature coming up from uh lisa donovan who's an incredible baker in um in the south and she was at husk for a long time and we're doing a feature with sort of her notebook pages in there yeah. and there are her notes around them and it's such a beautiful beautiful thing I, I love all of this and i've been getting the sort of wrap it up side from yeah. our i think but i i Wanna ask you, what would you say to uh nineteen seventy-nine Nancy about like what you what have you learned since what would what would you tell her as she's opening up uh La Brea and
1: Campanile and, and all that? I don't think thing? I would have done anything I don't think I would have done anything different. Mm-hmm. I think that uh when I open something I mean I haven't opened anything for what, twelve mm-hmm. Well, no, Kiespaka opened Mm -hmm. like eight years ago, but I think that I still have that same approach to what it takes to open a business, Mm -hmm. how much of yourself you have to Mm -hmm. put into it, Um, how important it is to develop a team. Mm -hmm. I mean, all of those... of the, the importance of those um, aspects are still there today. So I re- I don't think I would have done anything different. Mm. I don't think that I would have been a nicer person because I think I was good. I don't think <laughs> I would have worked harder because I worked pretty damn hard. Um, Were you nice to yourself I, yeah. th- during this? Well, did you take care of yourself No, during- I. I don't think I took care of myself, but I didn't really know how to take care of myself. I've learned how to take care of myself.
0: And this was the thing when we did the panel uh, for the um, 2018 uh, uh, Best New Chefs, you talked about some sort of rituals of of self-care. And I'm trying to remember, did you say you played tennis? You did something. No, I walk. I I try to walk
1: every day for an hour.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, dear nineteen seventy nine. Yes, <laughs> go, go and walk us. And it's probably pretty where you are too. Unlike
1: <laughs> Oh, it's a neighborhood. But I try to get that that exercise. But I yeah. didn't uh, I didn't know how yeah. to take care of myself then.
0: I I was having this conversation with my therapist right before <laughs> we um, do these at you know at age forty seven. Here I am for the first time feeling like I am taking proactive care yeah. of myself as opposed to reactive care and it's kind of it feels good yeah it feels really good i kind of want to go back to previous me and be like just breathe man just breathe (laughs) and and feel that way so uh, i have a few questions that i ask everybody okay but i'm always curious about how the uh answers vary um so you, you you oversee this empire you you have you know this this legacy and you have kids and everything what is the thing that you want for yourself? What is the selfish thing that you want?
1: Wow, I think the selfish thing that I would want is for me to walk into any one of my restaurants and everything about it be functioning perfectly. (laughs) (laughs) The food is perfect, everybody's getting along, nobody's on their way out, you know. I love that. That would be really selfish. I love that. And And unrealistic.
0: (laughs) And and the thing is, like, this speaks to because, like, that isn't even selfish. That's good for everyone. My selfish thing is, like, I want your earrings. They're amazing. (laughs) They're these little flies for people just listening. They're they're just, I wish you could all see her. She looks so amazing. Um, Then we have a speed round Uh as well. Um, These are no gotcha questions. These are no. I'm just very curious to hear people answer these. Uh, What's your comfort food?
1: Oh, wow. I think bread and butter. How about that?
0: Yeah, okay. Can you do a particular butter, a particular bread? Is there anything, or is it just any bread and
1: butter? Well, it's not any bread. It's (laughs) a good bread. (laughs) Imagine
0: you have a high bar for bread. (laughs) It's got to be a
1: good, crusty bread. Uh
0: If it's not yours, is it some other particular uh, bread?
1: At this point in my life, yeah. Well, you know, I'm living in Los Angeles right now, so it would have to be either Bub and Grandma is Mm -hmm. a wonderful bakery, of course, La Brea Bakery. Okay, that goes yeah. without saying, yeah. right. But I can't just be yeah. – I can't keep it all at home. <laughs> so outside of La Brea Bakery, uh-huh. it would be Bub and Grandma. Uh, their loaves are just mm. sensational. And I love tartine. Oh, and we have tartine now in Los Angeles.
0: Yes, yes you do. Oh. And is there a particular uh, – it's just room temperature. Do you toast? Do you – I don't even need to toast. Okay. And then is there a particular butter that you – like, is there a local butter? Or is there anything? Or just kind of whatever butters. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Whatever butter. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I just,
0: I'm so butter spoiled after. Having, what do you love? Oh, uh, just this Norwegian butter maker. Who yeah. And oh. he only sells to one uh, restaurant in, um, in Trondheim. And it's, yeah, it's it's amazing. He has, like, seven cows that he lives yeah. with. And he, it, it was just, like, this magical moment kind of thing. But otherwise, like, I'm not a butter snob. I will eat all, <laughs> all different kinds of butter. Actually, there's this uh, Irish one that I tend to, like, smuggle back with me called Abernathy that I really, really love. And I love Kerrygold. Like, yeah. it's, it's good butter. Um, what is the last meal that you had that made you emotional?
1: Oh, let's see. It's always got to be something that's been recent because... It's always like the last, yeah, the last thing you had. Now let's see the last meal that I had that made me emotional, and I know that there was one. And let's go to the next one, and I'll come back to that Uh, one. Next one is
0: what is? Sorry, I'm gonna like swallow this ice that (laughs) I'm.
1: Good, it It gives me, buys me time (laughs) because I remember my last emotional meal.
0: Yeah, what is the last time? What is the last meal where somebody cooked for
1: you in their home? The last meal that someone cooked. Well, but I don't think that they cooked it. Oh, that's okay. What Is that did, okay? That's okay. What did they serve so you? So they had what they, what they uh, billed it as <laughs> on the invitation. It was a pig out, and there uh, was um, a, a meal at their house, but I think that they brought in a lot of people to cook it because that's the last time I was actually in a home. Yeah. Um, people, for some reason, are afraid to invite me over to their house, people, I have to say. Well, this is
0: why but, I asked this question. People are afraid to cook for chefs. Why is that? There, I, I, It's so silly. And I'm, like, friends with critics, too. And they, they say, like, oh, are you going to critique this dinner? I'm like, no, I'm not going to critique your multiple soup that you made for me. It's yeah. a kindness. Like, if no, somebody cooks for me, I'm happy and grateful.
1: Yeah, no, there was a lovely, lovely uh, there's a lovely lady in uh, Los Angeles. Her name is Jackie Appelbaum. And she hosts... Uh, an annual dinner and she calls it pig out mm. and so there was certainly porchetta mm. but she had paella and she had all sorts of foods that she had people make and I think that's the last time I was at someone's house for dinner and that yeah. was a couple of weeks ago
0: okay please people invite Nancy over for yeah. dinner what <laughs> am I going to
1: do right yeah. <laughs> send it back yelp it and you know? she's,
0: she'll probably show up with bread so. yeah, <laughs> I'll
1: show up with something at least a bottle of red wine Yeah,
0: maybe some mozzarella <laughs> so going back do you remember the emotional meal? oh what? my
1: emotional meal. <clears throat> wow! I can just tell you. For lunch, I was at Loring Place today, where I saw you last. Oh, yes, and the there was so a just the most oh. delicious broccoli salad that he did. That the layers oh. of flavor were so delicious.
0: Oh, you know when Meghan Markle had a food blog, she wrote about Loring Place. Yeah, <laughs> which I think is kind of amazing. But he's he's so good, and I feel I loved
1: like... him at ABC Kitchen. Yeah, um, but. I just had lunch there on my way here and that broccoli, uh, broccoli salad, Mm. a charred broccoli salad (gasps) with pistachios. Oh God, I'm such a texture eater.
0: Yeah. That is, uh, yeah, I, I need to, I haven't been there for a little while, actually since the last time we were there. So I, I need to go back for that. What living musician who you have not cooked for before would you want to cook for and what would you serve them?
1: See, just how I would never want to have, uh, I don't know why people don't invite me over to the house. Like I'm not gonna—I would be so intimidated mm-hmm. if Willie Nelson came to my house. Okay,
0: you're not the first person who said Willie Nelson <laughs> either, and I love that. What would you make for Willie
1: Nelson? Um, I think that I would have to invite him over for a hamburger. Oh, I love hamburgers. How, what do you like on your burger? Oh well, I first of all, the meat itself is mm-hmm. very important mm-hmm. to me and that it's well seasoned and I like my burgers uh charred but extremely rare so Same, black and blue yeah I really I so I'm not a big fan of what's very trendy right now which is the double patty mm. very thin because you can't cook it yeah rare enough right I like a soft bun but not too bready mm-hmm. but I like a, a lot of spicy mayonnaise mm-hmm. a little bit of iceberg lettuce yeah tomato, and that's really it. I Although would, when I have burger parties, I give people about 20 options. But that's really <laughs> what – the spicy mayo is really important. I think a well-lubricated hamburger is important.
0: I'm, I, I want a T-shirt that says that. And no ketchup. <laughs> no. It's I'm funny. funny ketchup. You and I – Like the exact same burger, there is um, my favorite neighborhood restaurant. Um, I live in Park Slope, Brooklyn, and this place is, I think, coming up on 15. It might be 13, but it might be, like, nearing 15. I've been going there the whole time, and that is exactly the burger that they they serve with the chipotle mayonnaise. Yeah,
1: that's what I like. And
0: I get Gruyere
1: on it. Yeah, Gruyere.
0: Yeah. Otherwise, this is exact. This is the burger of your dreams. Yep. and
1: <laughs> Well, I can have you over and not feeling.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean that. There's there's something about that alchemy of yeah. that that I really really love. Um, I love that. And what? And it, it's so funny. Willie Nelson comes up a lot. Um, Dolly Parton, ah. of course, and um, and Beyonce. Oh wow! And uh, and one of uh, one of my guests had cooked for Beyonce, and <laughs> it was kind of it was kind of amazing. Um, and the last question: If you have five uninterrupted minutes for self care, what do you do?
1: Drink a glass of red wine.
0: Oh, is there a particular kind? You-
1: no, I'm pretty um, I'm pretty open to um, to most reds. I'm not a big fan of California wines in mm-hmm. general, mm-hmm. but I'm pretty I'm pretty forgiving when it comes to my red wine.
0: So the, and my takeaway here is people have Nancy over to your house, <laughs> serve her some some, wine, some red wine, serve a really good burger, and just... And play you, some Willie Nelson. Play some Willie Nelson and appreciate the fact that this woman who has done mm-hmm. such incredible things is is in your home. Like, Thank you for being here. And also thank you for just what you've done for my personal bread life. Ah, I really, thank you. I really, really appreciate it. I'm going to try to wing this clothes out without the piece of paper, Like. We We've been sort of, I always used to have this piece of paper, and I'll try to do the outro. Thank you to Nancy Silverton, who you can, and hooray for 30 years of La Brea Bakery. Right. Um, I, I always ask people your social media handles.
1: Uh-oh, don't. know. <laughs> okay, <we'll, laughs> don't have one. We'll put them in
0: the episode notes. But <laughs> people, if you don't have a copy of La Brea uh, Bakery, uh,
1: Breads from La Brea Bakery. Breads from La,
0: La Brea Bakery. Like, get that into your arsenal. Get some sourdough from, from somewhere. F- because Off the floor. Yeah, off the floor. No <laughs> doubt is probably related to the La Brea uh, sourdough. Just like, do yourself a favor and get in on this. Um, thank you so much to our producer, Jen Martnick. And uh, thank you to Douglas Wagner for our delightful theme song. He's my husband, by okay. the way. Okay. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, if you want, to hear from anybody in particular, or have some notes about this, something you want us to talk about. I'm easy to find. I'm on Twitter at kittenwithawhip. You can find all these episodes at foodandwine.com, on our YouTube page, on Spotify, on uh, Apple Podcasts, and you know probably through your braces, you can probably find this. Um, and you know if you want to leave us some stars, a comment, or all that stuff, really helps, and it helps us with the the algorithm, so people can find us and like and subscribe and all that stuff so we can keep having conversations with with people like Nancy Silverton. And most of all, you know what I want you to do? I want you to take care of yourself until the next time and eat some really good bread.